Hey, welcome to Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. I'm Rob Schulte, and I'm here with Rob Federick and Peter Madrigal. What you're about to listen to is the very first episode of this podcast. We recorded it months ago before we had high-tech equipment and microphones that sounded this great. Um, But it was kind of an experiment. It was, can we talk about movies in a way that we want to talk about them? But it's not just me here to tell you about this. I got the other dudes on the line, too. How do you want to uh, set the scene for our listeners? Hey, guys. Peter Madrigal here. Um, yeah, I'm just going to set the scene like this. Please don't judge us too, too harshly for the first episode. <laughs> it was our first time. You can't judge somebody by their first time. <laughs> so um, better episodes are on the way because uh, we upgrade our tech, you know? Yes. We were recording on a smaller mic first because we were just a bunch of dudes getting together talking about the love of movies and like anything that's a work in progress. We work with what we've got, but then, you know, the more that we develop it, the better things get. So if you guys are definitely hooked with the first episode, you're going to love the future episodes and again we're always constantly working to improve this uh, podcast for you guys so that it's a much better experience so thanks for sticking with us guys yeah it's going to be great i think by episode three we really are cooking on this but that's not to say that the episodes like sound terrible they just don't sound as crisp and clean as you hear us right now so uh get ready it's a wild fucking ride and it's a lot of fun here's the first episode of magical at the movies with rob and rob Woo! Hi, everybody. Welcome to another podcast that um, I've just recently started with my friends, Rob and Rob, Rob Federick. He's um he's a director actually out here in Los Angeles, California. He directed a film that uh, I actually produced called The Ride and Destiny. You all can catch it on my Instagram page and my YouTube page. It's quite the film. I, I call it the next Star Wars. And my other friend Rob Schulte, he's a podcaster as well. He started uh, Vanderpump Robs, and uh, through that we've become friends. It's been an interesting ride with him too. It's uh actually really cool. Uh, he's one of my frequent guests on my Peter Madrigal uh, social happy hour that's live every day. But this podcast is going to be directly influenced by film. And what do we mean by film? Well, actually, I mean, there's a lot of podcasts and, and YouTube videos out there talking about bad films. And we want to focus on another element, and that is good films. So without further ado, welcome to Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. Woo! Yeah! Yeah. I'm blown away. Yeah. Peter, man, thanks Thanks for that wonderful introduction to to both of us. You're welcome. I have a tendency, guys, to kind of go off the rails and keep talking. (laughs) I just, I don't know what it is. I just like to talk. (laughs) Well, dude, what what a better place than the podcast, right, Rob? Absolutely, Rob. Um, I think that this is such a fun melding of the minds. I've done horror movie podcasts. I've done television-related podcasts. But being able to just sit down with people who love film and want to talk about fun films Films, why the hell not? Exactly. Right. And one thing that I would say is that there's a lot of uh, you know there's a lot of videos and podcasts out there talking about really really bad films, right? But no one really actually likes to review the really good films. So uh, everybody out there who wasn't able to really grasp what we're doing, we are going to be reviewing today 
Raiders of the Lost Ark, which they retitled Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. That to me, it's kind of like it's a retread of uh, Star Wars in the sense that Star Wars, when it came out, it did not have the title A New Hope yeah. or, or Episode 4. Right. So that's right. The, the original name of this movie was Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then they added, of course, the title Indiana Jones just to complete the trilogy, which I say is only a trilogy. Oh, yeah. We're disregarding the fourth <laughs> film. Uh, that, that's an important fact to say. But I have to say, though, too, for all, everybody that's listening, if you haven't seen Raiders of the Lost Ark yet, Punch yourself in the face and then go see it. Because you're missing out. You're missing out on something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something kind of amazing. Wait for your eyes to heal and then go see it. It's on Netflix right now. What are you waiting for? And the moment it's not on Netflix, it'll be on the next streaming service and the next because this is a movie that cannot be missed. And I got to tell you guys, I was looking at different descriptions of the movie. You know, uh-huh. you can find your Google one, you can find the one that's on Wikipedia, but I was like, you know, all of these feel like they've been rewritten to death. And if you'll allow me, yes. I wanted to read the description from the oldest VHS photo I could find. Go for it. Harrison Ford and filmmakers Steven Spielberg and George Lucas team up in the first Indiana Jones movie and set the whirlwind tone for Indy's adventures to come. Here, you'll find archaeologist Jones up to his neck in danger and snakes. He hates Nazis too, and he'll stop at nothing to keep those goose-stepping goons from obtaining the mystical Ark of the Covenant. Hang on and enjoy. Wow. I'm sweating just by reading it. One of the things that I really loved about this film, and we're going to get into it in depth, was the was the um, adventure serial type of Jerry Bruckheimer before Jerry Bruckheimer style of movie this was. You know what I mean? It's like you, you oh, yeah. find treasure. And for me, those are always my favorite movies, especially growing up, apart from, of course, like Star Wars, which they kind of have to, you know, defeat an empire. But with this movie, they have to go on an adventure to find a treasure and they have to like find the clues to get them to that treasure, you know? That's what. Oh, yeah. But that's one thing. I mean, I after this movie when I was a kid, I wanted to be an archaeologist because I thought, ooh, that's what it is to be an archaeologist. You have fun and you go find a, a cool shit like the Ark of the Covenant. Apart from my first impression as a kid, just what a time for filmmaking and movies. Like the fact that I, I still go back to the fact that I remember uh, hearing George Lucas say that he was convincing Spielberg at the time uh, not to because Spielberg wanted to do a Bond film. Yeah, which I thought. Was Kind of mind blowing, you know what I mean? Like, and 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 I would have loved to see a Spielberg Bond movie. Don't get me wrong, but you know, it was funny because Lucas said, "No, nah, I got something better," and convinced him to do this, you know, serial adventure thing. Which, in a way, you know, Doctor Jones is Bond. You know what I mean? He's a, he's a different type of Bond like adventure or whatever. And what a, what an amazing way to like create a new character. I feel like is on par with Bond, even though he has less films. And, and just create something that all of a sudden took off and became a, a, a cultural phenomenon. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that it was just an amazing time for movies. And, and you know, this was ahead of the franchises that we see now. And it is. That's just mind blowing. I completely agree. And I think that the idea of being a, you know, well-acclaimed director, even though, you know, he still had plenty of films to go and saying, you know what? I, my goal is to do this classic franchise that everyone loves. And then his friend being like, well, you know, I've got this other idea that you can essentially do the same thing, but put your own spin on it. I couldn't imagine that conversation actually happening. It feels like that's something for the storybooks. So what were your first impressions when you saw that movie as a kid? 
I first saw Temple of Doom. So <laughs> wow, okay. Okay. Yeah. There was a uh I don't know if anyone remembers this, maybe it was a Midwest thing, but McDonald's did a VHS giveaway in 1992. Oh shit. For like an extra $5, you could walk home with a VHS tape uncut, maybe a McDonald's commercial at the beginning, I don't remember. And my mom was like which one has the rolling ball at the beginning? And I'm sure the 15-year-old that was serving us chicken nuggets was like, I don't know, I'm pretty sure Temple of Doom, Temple's in the name. And I remember going home and although I was let down that there was no rolling ball I saw in all of the commercials, I was tied to this character and I remember the next weekend when I got my allowance, I asked to go to the movies at home in our neighborhood and we rented Raiders of the Lost Ark so I could see that ball and experience this character. And I, I mean, I learned something new each time I watch it, but I remember not having the knowledge of everything that I know now about World War II and the events involved, but like just knowing that this is like a piece of history that someone has like created into their own story and being able to grasp that as a child was just like, it's like what you were saying, Peter, the wanting to be an adventurer, just yes. wanting to know what was out there in the yes. world. And that's the way I view this, uh, this film too. I thought that that was how every archeologist operated, you know, and then you grow up and you're, you're yeah. thoroughly disappointed when you find <laughs> out what archeologists do. It's all like, I want that rolling ball. Yeah, you find out it's more chalkboards than this movie shows. You know, it's funny. You guys talk about that, those experiences. Like my first experience with Indiana Jones was actually at Disney. Really? I saw the stunt show and I remember thinking, wow, like what a spectacle. Or like, or like, yeah, like four or five years old. And I remember seeing, you know, the big ball rolling in the stunt show. And, and, and I was like, wait, that seems so cool. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and I remember that then later we did the magic movie ride or whatever that they used to have in Disney World or whatever. And they rolled a clip. And then I saw the clip of Indiana running away, Indy running away from the ball coming in. And I was like, I want to know that. I want to see that movie. And my dad was like, oh, that's that's Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's a great movie. There and we he go. rented it and we watched it. And I was just blown away. Like I was like, man, I, because you see the plane sequence in that stunt mm -hmm. show and everything. So like I tied the experience to something that I saw live. So for me, it was kind of a magical retelling of, a of our, yeah, it was such a surreal experience for me, man. So, so for me, it was, it was, it was completely amazing and stuff. And then at that time, as I grew up, you know what I mean? Like Spielberg's name got thrown around a lot. And that's when I was kind of realizing that I wanted to be a filmmaker and a director and stuff like that. And I, and my, my hero, my idol was, was Steven Spielberg, man. So, so it was kind of interesting because then he had a nice slew of films that came out. Was that. this one of the movies that you wanted to, that, that influenced you getting into becoming a director? I think early on, maybe yes. I don't, I don't think inherently I might've known. I think that what happened in that moment is that I had seen the live show, like I said, and, and it was like, I always had that curiosity of the creative aspect of the behind the scenes yeah. aspect of movies. And when I see that first, and then I see the movie come to fruition, I want to understand how the filmmakers executed what they did on film. Like, how did it end up being so moving and powerful? Obviously, like, you're not thinking about the music and the color correction, the acting and all that stuff, but it's just an, an amazing, I can't describe it. It's just a magical effect that just happens that these filmmakers are able to birth a story into existence from something so awesome that, you know, like when, when you see stunts happen or when you see, uh, uh, you know, like the cameras rolling in the lights and everything, it's almost like you're peeking behind the curtain 
And then when you close the curtain, you watch the, the magic unfold. So for me, that was really, I think that, like I said, I didn't know consciously that I was wanting to become a filmmaker because of that, but I knew that there was something there that, that attracted me. Yeah. yeah. Started getting into your DNA. It is part of his DNA now. Yeah. And That's I, a good way of putting it. I would like to say on, on top of that and like understanding filmmaking and then like growing with it, I, it blows my mind that like, one of the reasons Spielberg chose to make this movie, if my reading is correct, is that like he had come in over budget and over time on like Close Encounters and previous movies to this. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he wanted to make a movie that came in on time and under budget. So it was like a bet to himself. And look at the masterpiece he made. Oh, yeah. Every Spielberg movie has some iconic moment or scene. And obviously, like, you know, you think Indiana Jones, you think the ball, you know, rolling behind him, the idol saw. Well, I think Indiana himself, you know, like right. the, the, the hat, the jacket, the whip. It's iconic. It's uh, part of uh, American iconography, actually. If you look at, if you see that in a silhouette, you put that in, you know, it's an Indiana Jones. It, it's, a it's, it's a Halloween costume every year for yes. somebody. Oh, for somebody. You know, and, yeah. and for boys and girls, I see girls dress up as Indy all the time. Too. When you can tell a character, like you said, Peter, by the silhouette, mm -hmm. there's no backing down. It's made in the shade. Look, just look at talking about that silhouette, right? Like, like let's dive into the film, right? Like, yeah, so the, the beginning, the opening sequence of Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's all you see of him at the beginning mm -hmm. is a silhouette. And the camera never yeah. really shows his face. It's always shots from behind. And it's what, like, what an introduction to a character because you're jumping into his world. He's in that, that, you know, he's being, he's in the jungle. He's got these, these guys following him. Like, all, there's all this, these, you know, omens of danger and stuff. He gets this map and then this guy's about to kill him, he pulls a gun on him and bam, he turns around, he whips the guy. And then all of a sudden he comes in the light and you see Harrison Ford, but like, it's just such an iconic introduction that like you said, I, I think that silhouette just is grilled in our minds, Peter. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Well, for me though, I mean, it, it goes hand in hand with Harrison Ford, you know, that, that whole, cause you can't really, in, in my opinion, if you change the actor, it's going to change the movie in and of itself. Nobody's going to, especially old fans of indie, you'll have to create a whole new fan base for Indiana Jones if you change the actor. But what, what drew me into the movie actually was the was here the, the the very opening sequence before the rolling ball. Him like with the fingers <laughs> and the little golden statue just kind of there, you know. And it's been mocked so many. It's been made fun of so many times. And like I, I made a Doritos commercial about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <I actually> did. <laughs> commercial, you got to put that up one of these days. I got to like oh yeah or something because yeah. that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so him pouring the sand and like like you know, and then and then it doesn't work, you know. That that's what drew me in when I was a kid. I was all like, this is hilarious, this is awesome, hilarious, and just adventurous all at the same time. I was led to believe that like if I saw it hard enough, I could find one of these puzzles and maybe even my own golden idol. <laughs> I mean, it's just an amazing roller coaster ride from the beginning. I mean, like when you when you see that sequence, I mean, it just sets everything up for you right away. I mean, that's it's why I'm talking great, about iconic moments, you know? Yeah, it's a great uh, opening action sequence. And then afterwards, you know, you get into his like, you know, rigmarole of his everyday, you know, um, oh, you know, he gets the, st the idol stolen from him. And then he go. He ends up going to, um, you know, he goes back to the college where he teaches. And then the 
the military comes to him and tells him, oh, the Nazis are looking for the Ark of the Covenant. And that's what kicks off the entire adventure. One, one comment, though, that I do want to say before before we continue the story, which was which was interesting that, Peter, you were talking about it, that like, you know, you the, the actor, right, being being, you know, Dr. Jones, you know, Indiana, you know, what I mean, this this guy that that is, you know, iconic in who he is. But the funny thing is that he almost didn't get cast as. Because George Lucas didn't want and, and quote, like I, I quote, he said, I don't want him to become my Bobby De Niro in reference to Martin Scorsese, who used Robert De Niro in a lot of his movies, right? Because Harrison was in American Graffiti. He had been in Star Wars. He didn't want to make another film with him, but I don't think that movie would have worked with anybody no. else, honestly. And no. that's, that's such an amazing thing. And, and again, it just goes to show how like, I feel like some things are destined to, to happen, man, especially with movies. Like, I, I, I keep saying it's cheesy, I know, but like it's it's just the magic of movies again, man. Like that role was made for Harrison Ford. Yes. Right? You know, so. Exactly. There's like that one iconic scene of like test shooting with Tom Selleck. And it's not like, it's not watching the same thing at all. It's, I'm, I'm familiar with these lines, but this is not the character. Wait, does that exist? I got to check yeah. that out. I did what I did. I don't expect you to be happy about it. But maybe it can do us both some good. I, I agree with you, Rob. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't the same. It's just not the same. It's just not indie, man. Not indie. Well, it's like seeing those photos from Back to the Future with uh... Eric Stoltz. Yeah, there's footage of him because they shot like 60% of the movie with him. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And Zemeckis, they weren't, they weren't getting the laughs. Like apparently Eric Stoltz was just very dramatic. He was good, but he was just a very dramatic actor. He wasn't yeah, the yeah, guy yeah. for that. So Spielberg... Again, yeah. uh, supported the decision to to recast, you know. Although I will say they did. Michael J. Fox was their first choice. They just couldn't get him because he was doing Family Ties. Well, speaking of the Tibetan scene, that uh, the um, movie, that's where the story really, really starts up again. One of the things that I thought about, <laughs> I was doing a live with uh, some some other guys on YouTube, and I ended up going through an entire bottle of tequila by myself in one day, <laughs> oh, one day, one day, guys. One day. I mean, I'm just like, and I didn't even feel like I, I didn't even feel, I wasn't drunk at all. And I was like, okay, this is turning into a problem. And then all of a sudden I had a thought, let me tell you something right now. I could drink Marion under the table. If I was doing that challenge, my God. I don't, I don't, I don't think I'd take Marion on actually. You know, depending on that liquor, good Lord, I don't know if I'd even want to try. I could drink her under the table. I mean, like I said, I drank a whole bottle of tequila by myself on Friday. Peter, question. Did you end up reenacting this scene yourself in your apartment afterwards? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's going to have to be a challenge now. I think we're going to have to make a video of of a shot. shot. (laughs) I'm pretty sure a lot of people know who Peter Madigo is, but he's not the lightweight you know he's he's quite a large guy man he's he's what six foot two 220 pounds really yeah. pretty pretty jacked so may, maybe he could drink marion under the table yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty I, sure I, I i i know for a fact <laughs> i know for a fact i could <laughs> it's bad i'm calling for a re-edit of this movie we need to digitally place peter in it <laughs> Oh, dude, that could be hilarious. Yes, we can that do would that. Be very funny. Maybe, maybe we'll maybe we'll work that out. We'll composite you in there. Yeah. <laughs> but also, dude, again, you know, me as a filmmaker, I like to dissect these moments or whatever. But again, what another character introduction for the female lead of this movie? You know, the romantic interest. Like, you're not getting a damsel in distress. You're getting this tough woman, and it's such an iconic 
character introduction again she's like in this tibetan bar and drinking these dudes with shots and it's like a a tense moment you think she's gonna she's gonna hurl and she's gonna lose and then now she flips the shot over and then the next guy drops and then she's like all right pay up type of thing i mean like what a great way to establish characters and then when she meets indy you already get a sense of backstory their relationship and why they're kind of into each other it's just it's just really great writing my whole thing though was you get a sense of backstory but also like what happened how did she end up yeah in tibet that's true what the hell happened you could extrapolate so much from this they're like parents knew each other but they dated when they were both like teens or something yeah, that's right and yeah. then they were probably probably each other's first time oh totally but then she gets to own a bar yeah and she was like i was young it was wrong or whatever. I was in love. I thought that maybe they were their first loves. And then he's like, I got this great archaeological gig. See ya. Right. And unfortunately, as a stubborn dude, really hurt her. Typical man. I'm going to bounce lady. See you later, babe. Yeah. <laughs> as as Indy's there and he is looking for the head of the staff of Raw. And she's like, nope, don't have it. And then even seeing that there's more to this character than we thought when she pulls it out as a necklace. Right. You were like, good God, you keep surprising me in this movie. This is awesome. You know, and then that that shootout that follows. But then here's my thing, though. That villain. Face-melting Nazi? Yeah. You look at him, and he's just despicable already off the bat. But, like, the casting, the characters, like, they're such great characters that automatically, like, your story starts to take. And, and I think that's what a great adventure story needs. Uh, other than an amazing, you know, exotic landscape or, or setting, you need these great characters. And when this guy comes into the bar, you already know there's trouble. But Marion holds her own. And then all of a sudden, Indy comes to, like, sort of save the day. But he doesn't 100%. Like, mm-hmm. actually, like, he gets himself in a point where he's almost killed and Marion saves him. The, the bar burns down and everything. And, and, you know, she comes out and she's like, all right, well. Until I get back my $5,000, you're going to get more than you bargained for. And she shows him the medallion and then we're off to the races. I mean, like, again, something that even now I watch it is unexpected. I I get chills. I got goosebumps thinking about it right now, you know, but uh, yeah, Peter just saw them. But uh, (laughs) it's just a great adventure story that just kicks. I again, every moment in that movie, it's just mind blowing. Well, I think that it's also like really cool to point out that both adventures we've seen with Indiana Jones so far have been in the like South American jungle and then here at this Tibetan bar. And he has essentially lost both times until we find out that Marion is the partner and has the actual medallion. But he, he has fucked up twice, but we are still like on his side. I never thought that. Eye opening. Wow. Yeah. We like a good comeback story, you know? That's one of the magic things of this movie is like he has the tenacity and the power to keep going, which is, I mean, quite frankly, probably what we all want to be able to do. You know what? That That's also a really good point. And I think that's also what's important about when filmmakers and stuff like that, because I see this a lot with like, you know, people that write or, you know, they come up to me sometimes asking me for advice and like, you know, how to better their scripts and stuff like that. And I see that their characters are like these superhuman, unflawed guys or girls and you know what i mean like it just you you it just shows that you have to show some vulnerability and yes. flaws to your character because mm-hmm. flawed characters are interesting and like peter said you now have a road for a comeback but it also shows that 
we can relate to those characters because we're not we're um, not perfect. We're not perfect, but Indy is brave. He still goes in and faces the danger. But you know, even if he gets himself in a pickle or whatever, it's not that oh he's going to figure it all out. Which I think this is the big separation between him and Bond. Bond almost kind of always has an exit strategy, mm-hmm. as opposed to like Indy. You know. He wins, but then he gets himself in another situation. Now he's got to really think his way out, you know, or or, mm. or outsmart the people who outsmarted him once. I never thought of like Bond being like, uh, uh, yeah, he's not a vulnerable character. He kicks ass all the time and just, uh, you know, gets the ladies. He's always got to figure it out. But Indy, yes. Indy, Indy has a plan and it might go sour, but he's got that vulnerability. But it's the people he surrounds himself with that also kind of help him out. But you're Rob, that's a, that's a really great point. Well, I appreciate that guys. And you know, the same thing It's like Indy and bond both have a costume, right? You've got your hat and your whip, you've got your tuxedo and your gadgets or whatever. And it, it just goes to show us that whether it's the superhero movies of today or, you know, a movie like this from the eighties or just the serials it's based off of, we always want an adventurer who can come out on top uh, after facing failure, but I'm sure that's a podcast all in itself. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, and then we meet another iconic character of the Indiana Jones franchise. Salah. <laughs> Jonathan Maurice Davis, man, who for many people who don't know, played another iconic character. He played Gimli. He played Gimli in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I'm like with Peter. It's like, I want to know more. Who's, who is Salo? How did they become friends? You know, like, how does he have this great friend out there? And you can tell he's like this very well-connected, no, no all guy type of thing. But I, I just keep going back to the characters. They're fully fledged. And I think there's some bonus line either in this movie or the second one. And by the second one, I mean, the last crusade um, <laughs> that uh, where he's like the best digger in Egypt right. or something. So he like, he, you're right. He has all these connections and he is, that's why it's like, okay, if they're excavating something, I have someone on the inside. Plus he's got knowledge of the town. They don't spell it out to you, which is also one of my favorite things. Yeah. If they want to do like a, a, a spinoff series, I'd like to see a spinoff of Sala because you know, there, there's a moment in the movie where like, Indy and him just discovered where the, the Ark of the Covenant is with the whole laser beam and all that other good stuff, <laughs> special effects, whatever. Uh-huh. And they find out exactly where it is, right? And they get out of the cave and they're walking back and, and Indy has a run-in with one of the Nazi soldiers and he tries to escape and put the scarf over his face. And Sala has to interrupt and like, you know, hey, hey, eat, it's all good. You know what I mean? He's like, a, <laughs> he's like this charismatic, funny guy jolly guy but yet at the same time you know he he has a separate agenda and he knows everybody i'm like wondering does he know some of these guys that are doing the digging like what how does he just infiltrate somewhere and get all these people to come work for him you know who is this person yeah you know and he even has like a special ability to make these foreign soldiers from germany you know kind of feel at ease it's like hey it's all good guys you know i mean how does Dala get these guys who are working for belloc and and the Nazis to come and dig for the Ark of the Covenant. You know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden, good, good, good. You see me? You see? Okay, bring the pry bars in. You know, you just mentioned Belloc too. We hadn't talked to him. He, he also gets established at the beginning of the film when Indy loses, like you said, Rob. Like he he loses the idol that he had at the beginning to Belloc, and and there's this kind of rivalry that he says. You know what? Uh, what's yours is now mine, type of thing. And and what a great villain too. That you know he's not even like that unlikable. He's like crazy. he's a, he's, not, a, 
he's not evil. He's not evil, evil for evil. Yeah, he's just a, a guy that's looking for his own self-interest. And, you know, he's he's a good-looking guy. He's got these big blue eyes that, like, you know, mm-hmm. on the screen, like, he has this kind of connection with Marion as well when he kidnaps her at one point, you know? Like, like again, it's like this – it's not a black-and-white villain. Like, I thought it was just a really good – character that you want him to lose but at the same time like what another rival for indiana because it's almost like another side of the coin for him you know what i mean like you recognize his motives right and you can totally see that in just a couple of changes in stream this could have been indiana jones exactly he even tells him you could be me oh yeah yeah i gotta i gotta bring up another little filmmaking thing, you know because I, I gotta weigh in the behind the scenes that i'm put here which i always thought was such a great moment is that you know marion gets kidnapped in the basket sequence and indiana's like indy's running around behind trying to get her and he's fighting all these dudes that are in the service of belloc or whatever trying to to get after him and then he comes across this big dude that pulls out this big scimitar sword (laughs) does this whole waving thing whatever and then indy just turns around gives him kind of like a and shoots him right in the face and dismisses him without like even breaking his. you know what's amazing about that scene People don't know this, but they were shooting. I forget where. I think they were shooting in India or somewhere. They were shooting in Arabia. Somewhere, somewhere in the middle. Somewhere with sand. I don't like sand. It's rough and coarse (laughs) and irritating, and it gets everywhere. We're gonna get to those movies. (laughs) Oh God! (laughs) But uh, people don't know that when they were filming this, like the crew and Harrison actually got really sick. He had the runs of some sort, and he had a fever of like 102 that day. Or something, and that sequence actually called for him to fight this dude with it was the a whip. Huge fight choreography, choreograph scene. Yeah, Harrison just couldn't do it, and he suggested people just like, "Can I just shoot him? Can I just shoot him?" And like, all day. And again, it's it's one of those things where when you do things like this in movies, people sometimes don't realize that some of the best moments are improvised. Like, not to toot our own horn here, Peter, but we have a sequence in the Riven yeah. that your brother, you know, acted yeah. brilliantly. Like. I had a sequence in the script that called for this moment where you're going to see the sword reflection. He was going to turn. He was going to keep fighting. And, and instead, Jude kind of came up and did this line where he just yells at the top of his lungs, come for me. And like this, he wants him, you know, this creature to attack him. And it becomes a, a trailer moment. And it's what everybody remembers of that movie is that one line. <laughs> and that wasn't in the script. So again, going back to Indy, that that sequence, I remember sticking with me. I laughed so hard because it was a comedic moment, but it was so great because yeah. that's who Indy is. You know what I mean? He's that guy too. Like, you know, so. It's very, very fortunate and I'm thankful that he got sick. <laughs> I believe Spielberg is the only person, one of the only people on the crew that didn't get sick because he only ate like canned food the whole time he was there. Oh, wow. Oh my God. That <laughs> yeah. makes sense. So, I mean, it's just, like all of these things contributing to one of the most fun scenes in a movie that you would never know without doing your research. Right. And and it adds, I mean, again, because there is an element of humor in all of the Indiana Jones movies. And I think that even though it's like five seconds when it happens, it, without that moment, I think that it would have been a different movie. Yes. Plus, I can't imagine Tom Selleck pulling that no, decision. Not cool enough. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Tom. Can I just drive a car into yeah, him? I don't know. Yeah, Tom was Magnum PI. I mean, like he was cool. Okay. You know what, dude? In fact, they should have cast David Hasselhoff for that movie. That's true. Then the car would drive itself. <laughs> but are, are, are we are we serious right now? <laughs> Is this serious? Are we are we being serious? Or are we joking? P- Peter Peter just gave me the the like the big eye look. Like, <laughs> can we do this? <laughs> 
It's so cliche now. We just saw it in the new Star Wars movie. I don't even want to call it a Star Wars movie because, you know, yeah, I have my own problems with that. Like like Rob <laughs> said, uh, we're going to get to that very soon. But in this movie, they have something that is, like I said, cliche now. And that is the bait and switch. Okay. Marion in the basket being put into a, uh, a truck that has just all sorts of explosives in it and the truck blowing up. And all of a sudden we see her later on and she's fine, which we saw in the new Star Wars movie uh, where Ray blows up a, a, a spaceship, whatever. They all think that Chewie's on that spacecraft, but uh, two seconds later he's on, they do the bait and switch there. So the bait and switch to me in this movie becoming shorter and shorter and shorter in the time that you see that bait and switch. Yeah, it becomes really hard to do a trick on the audience when you try to make it faster and faster and doing it over and over again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think at the end of the day, too, you know, I think that deep down we all know Marion's not going to go that way. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, we know that she's probably going to be okay, but we still feel, you know, we want to know. We, we still have that that question, but we, we always feel that she's going to be okay. And then when we see her, it's almost like a... You know, we see her alive with Belloc, and then again, she goes into another drinking contest yeah. to, to try to escape. But Which know. I would have won because that's just wine. But my <laughs> point is, guys, <laughs> my point is, guys, is this. Uh, and, uh, is it cliche now? Because I see so many movies with that bait and switch, like, oh, we didn't really kill him. Oh, you know? I think it's like anything else, man. I mean, people... People always strive for originality in movies, but I but I always tell them, look, everything's been done before. It's just the way that you execute it now. And I think that makes sense. the bait and switch or like any other archetype and stuff like that, it works if you set it up correctly and if you do it right. And you also have to understand that your audience, you know, the the audience isn't dumb, you know, so they'll they'll see it coming. There's there's things that that work and they don't work, but I think that's just that's just movies in general. I don't know what you think. I'm right there with you. I like like I said towards the beginning of this, you could dissect any movie to death and find flaws in it. But when a movie works, a movie works. And when a moment in a movie works, it works. And if it doesn't, well, maybe it was executed poorly and there can be a million reasons why. But that doesn't mean that like everything's terrible or that thought process should never be done again. I think it comes back also to the idea that this movie was forcibly done uh, within constraints, you know, and I think that if you have constraints and you say, you know, I need a movie that has these five tropes in it, well, you'll probably work harder to make them work better on your film. Exactly. No, I hear you. When, when you start seeing one trope and start seeing one cliche <clears throat> and you start seeing that over and over and over again, you start wondering if there's directors and producers in Hollywood that uh, are just not creative anymore, you know? But well, anyway. I, think, I think that happens in general. I mean, like, look, Indiana Jones is a staple in the film industry. I'm pretty sure that, you know, I mean, movies weren't new back then either. They'd been running for, for years and years and years, but... Yeah, you same, just pointed out that the 20, it was a $20 million budget on this. Side. Yeah, it was a $20 million budget. That, that was a big budget back then, but, you know... This it's, movie it, would yeah. be 100 and something million. Today. Oh, today, yeah, for sure. And and back then, you didn't have all the CG that you had. I mean, there's only one kind of 
CG element in this movie, which is the end when when the power of which God would comes be, out of the ark. Yeah, it's, it's the uh, it's the ark of the covenant. Right. But moving on to the ark of the covenant. Yes. Yeah, Rob. When they when Sala through his charisma, power of charisma, <laughs> when Sala finds all those people to come join me and start digging for this uh, for this tomb, I guess I would you guys call it a tomb? Initially, it's a tomb because yeah. like, the Nazis were digging in the wrong spot and Sala and Indy figured it out. Yes. They get the Staff of Ra, they, they find out the real location of the Well of Souls and they find the Ark in this tomb that has a ton of snakes, which is what Indy hates. You know what I mean? And that, that's one thing I love about the, uh, the Indiana Jones movies is that they all have um, some kind of creepy crawler to really creep out the viewer. You know, such an, a great, great adventure backdrop. And again, we're talking about a movie that didn't have visual effects that were they were all practical. You know, those sets existed. Like mm-hmm. I remember in that tomb, Spielberg, there's a there's a great clip of Spielberg behind the scenes saying that. Well, first, we budgeted <laughs> 2000 snakes. But the problem was when you put the 2000 life snakes on the floor, they all huddled into a corner and it looked like just a little dust swept under the rug. Realize to cover the entire <clears throat> floor of the set with a very, rather large set. We would need about 7000 snakes. Because he wanted to really create that moving floor effect so that Indy would be put in the most horrible place he could ever possibly be put in. But again, it's his courage that keeps him forward because Indy hates snakes. Yeah. But where else are you going to throw your character in except the pit of snakes? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. again, you're, you're creating an adventure backdrop and a set, like a set piece that works so well with your character that, again, it just keeps fueling magic towards this movie. It just makes everything like. You're so invested at this point. It's it's crazy. Like, I, I, I just can't believe how well things were done back in 1982. I love visual effects, but you got to you gotta tip your hat off to these, these filmmakers that didn't have those tools available. I completely agree. I think that this scene is also a moment that proves to you that without spelling it out to you, that our hero of this film has a huge fear. We know he has a huge fear, but he fears the end of the world way more than his little snake fear. Right. Moving to the he, ark. He, he drops down and mm-hmm. him and Sala take the ark out. Now that that's a very powerful, powerful sequence. It's like he finally made it. He finally found what, what they were looking for, right? He beat everybody. And then what happens? Sala! Hello! Hello! Why, Dr. Jones, whatever are you doing in such a nasty place? Much like before, um, we see him achieve his goal, he gets everything, and then once again he is intercepted by the bad guys, Belloc and the Nazis, taking away the thing that Indy wanted most in the moment. Yeah, he loses again. I mean, Bond does have those moments too, obviously. But again, we go back to what we set up before where, you know, Indy is put in vulnerable situations again, and he doesn't have it all figured out, but but he does. He, he uses his intellect, which, again, what a duality this character. He's this rugged adventurer. But you saw him before when he was in the, at the university when we established all this, that he's this professor of archaeology. And he's also he wears glasses a, and stuff. Right. He, he, Patches he, on the elbow. But he's yeah. a super smart guy. He's an educated guy. So, like, that's that point. He can be... He can be an adventurer, but he's also using his intellect to get him out. It's not all, you know, uh, brawling. It's it's brains, too. So. Yeah. yeah, when those snakes go through the wall, you're like, okay, we've got a hint of something that we can do here. And then just climbing on those statues and toppling it over. It is just, it it feels larger than life. Right. 
Right. And for most people, they don't know this either. There's another little cool fun trivia fact is mm-hmm. that in the pit of souls or well of souls um, hieroglyphs, there is a small C-3PO and R2-D2 that actually make it into the film. They're very faint in the background. Sent to the spice mines of Kessel, smashed into who knows what. I never wondering. saw that. I'll have to take a look at that now. Yeah. That's interesting. For any of those ancient alien uh, conspiracy theorists and all that stuff, <laughs> uh, you know, it's kind of a neat little Easter egg to, to put in there. You well, know, it did happen it, a long time ago. In a galaxy far, far away. Granted, some things happened that that plane sequence, which again, I talked about in the stunt show when I saw that and that big bald guy with the with the put him up Dukes uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. boxing yeah. stance and uh, curled up mustache and stuff. But he fights him and Indy isn't the stronger one there, clearly, because yeah, he gets course. knocked on his ass. Big guy doesn't uh, pay attention to his surroundings and that's why he gets chopped up. <laughs> Like this movie has a lot of gore in it for like a PG thirteen or PG movie back in the day. Like there's a, like there's a couple of headshots that are bloody in that uh, Nepal Tibet bar yeah. scene, and then this guy getting like kind of like the blood sprays everywhere. You know, there's a bunch of like dead mummies in it. Like I remember seeing it a second time around. I was like, I don't remember it being kind of. It's not just ultra violent, but it was pretty violent for the time. I thought, you know, so yeah, for to get a VHS at McDonald's about it. Like, <laughs> Hey, here's the thing, though. Like, isn't it in the Indiana Jones series? I think Temple of Doom, but like, that's what caused PG 13. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Because Spielberg wanted to, Spielberg actually created the PG 13. No shit. I believe Temple of Doom was originally a PG, but then once movies saw that you could rip hearts out and limbs and stuff, they were like, okay, no, we got to cut this off. Movies involving X, Y, and Z are PG 13. <laughs> And that, that's exactly, I mean, that's exactly what happened. Like Temple of Doom was, and Lucas admits it, it's the darkest movie he's ever written or designed, you know, cause he was going through a divorce at the time, but it was a point where it was either going to be PG or R. And if it was an R rating, obviously enough people wouldn't go. So Spielberg was saying, well, what if we made something between a PG and an R rating? And he convinced the MPAA to make a PG 13 rating. And that was the first PG 13 film. Because if you look back, like Jaws is PG, and <laughs> Jaws isn't a PG movie, man. If you think back to the times, it said parental guidance, but... Oh. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But I think I agreed. I mean, you can't go to those two opposite extremes. Like, there had to be something in the middle. And, but again, yeah, we can all thank Mr. Spielberg for the uh, PG-13 rating. Yeah, that's awesome. And making all 13-year-olds everywhere feel special when going to the movies. To deviate just slightly here, again, I like to give out these fun facts now that we're on a PG-13 rating. Like, Titanic was not supposed to be a PG-13 movie, by the way. Titanic was a rated R movie. It had nudity in it. It had violence in it, like disaster violence in it. It was a tragic movie. It had curse words in it. It was. It broke everything to go into a rated R movie. And Cameron went to the MPAA. It's just amazing how these directors have this much influence, right? He literally convinced them. He was like, look, I spent a lot of money on this movie. If you guys give me a rated R movie, we are not making our movie back, like our money back. And he convinced them to continue the on with a PG-13 rating, despite not cutting out anything in the movie. He did cut out like a couple little sequences here and there, but they weren't the violent ones or whatever. Yeah. So 
but like what behemoths of Hollywood. Yeah, he was like, okay, give me this one at PG-13. And then I've got this Avatar series I'm working on (laughs) that you are going to want to just give me the checkbook for. (laughs) Oh my God. Marion. Marion is trapped inside the plane. She has to be taken out by... um, by Indy, Indy has to save her. It's like one of her many damsel in distress moments. Even though she's not a damsel in distress, she can handle herself. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about yeah, what comes exactly. next, man. <laughs> oh, oh, she's, yeah. But, but a, lot, a lot of the situations that she's in, she is a kind of a damsel in distress. Her getting trapped in the basket, then her getting trapped in the plane. What else? Then her getting trapped by the Nazis again when they're... Uh, when they when they board the ship right but but even before that like after that airplane fight sequence man which again this movie just had set piece after set piece after set piece that was like kind of like what an idea to make a fight with this rotating plane right but the then the plane when, didn't even look right though the <laughs> propellers were on the back and it just it didn't it had a weird shape to it well because it was supposed to be a, a i think like a covert plane that the nazis had or something oh, okay. like that but super weapon of some sort like probably the most iconic moment of Indiana Jones is when we hear that John Williams score. I'm getting, I'm, uh, like Peter did yeah, say, I'm getting yeah. goosebumps just thinking about it. with that music and Indiana Jones riding in the horse behind. You know what I mean? Like, yes. a movie moment. Without John Williams' score, that movie would have been nothing. Yeah. Let's say that right off the bat. John, praise John Williams, the musical John genius. Williams. I don't think Spielberg and Lucas knew what they were creating when they were doing it. There was so much love for stories like this that they just went, how can I celebrate these moments with all of the like filmmaking knowledge and skills that I've gained that like you add, like you said, you add John Williams to that. You add uh, moving vehicles, horses, everything that made those little serials fun and you do it right. And we get that here. We get that throughout the whole movie, but like moving from plane to the chase scene is you talk about goosebumps. It's like I could watch this like 20 minute segment over and over again on repeat. Oh yeah. One of the things that yeah. stick out in my mind is when he gets in the truck and he uh like the the, the soldiers are trying to come across, right? He throws them all off. And then the one soldier overpowers him, throws him at the front, and then he has to like he goes underneath yeah. the truck to the back, then has to climb all the <laughs> way back to the front. And then the soldier tries to do the same thing underneath the truck. And you, do you realize that, like, that <laughs> sequence, man, it was extremely challenging to film back then. I like, can only imagine what it was CG like. with any of this. Exactly. Stuff, man. Like, these were stunt guys. This it's was not, Harrison. This was everything. It's not swinging on vines with monkeys. <laughs> Everyone's got the runs. Right, right, right. But, I mean, again, it's just. That's a level of filmmaking. I mean, like Spielberg was in his 30s when he was making this movie, man. I mean, like, and and the book hadn't been written on movies like this yet. You know what I mean? Nowadays, we have all these big adventure type of movies and we have the help of so many visual effects artists to do more. And granted, Raiders of the Lost Ark is slightly dated when you watch it. Like the pacing of the action always feels a little slower and less intense than what we see now. But even then, it's still great. It's still as impactful as it should be. Um, but again, you look at it and I look, I look at it going like, man, these guys really did this with, first of all, film, not a digital camera, no visual effects help and just stunt sequencing and planning. I mean, like that's, that's remarkable. Yeah, I know. I I wonder how long it would take to film like, okay, so they're fighting in the front of the truck. He gets thrown over onto the hood. He has to go under the, the, the truck 
like just guiding himself under the truck and then whips, takes out his whip and hangs onto the back. And then he has to pull himself back up and then go to the front of the truck again, get in the steering wheel and throw the other guy out. I mean, that's a lot of planning and execution. Very impressive stuff. And how many times they had to reset that scene. Yeah, exactly. Because this would have been shot, what, in, the, in uh, 1980? So... Yeah, the pre-planning and everything pre-planning, was 79. Oh my God, and, you know, I can only imagine stuff, what it was like. Jeez. And, and George Lucas was really one of the first director, producers, like filmmakers really that brought, you know, movies nowadays are like, there's a whole pre-production conceptualizing uh, phase that takes months, man. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's even longer than just the production phase. And George Lucas was really credited as like the, like the first guy to really bring that into existence. Like, the concept art like that was a star wars thing oh yeah, you know yeah i mean yeah. like where he was conceptualizing looks and designs and stuff like that way from the start like building the movie basically before it was even shot or or even before you talk to production designers that were then going to conceptualize sets and stuff like that so i think that with indiana jones i think they did the same and there's probably if you look them up i think there's a couple of conceptualized uh designs that he did have based on the serials and stuff like that of indiana jones but again, it just goes to show the level of filmmaking and the attention to detail and the love and passion that these guys had for film, man. It's just amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you, like you said, it might look a little dated, but the fact is, is that there's no, there's a lot of movies that come out these days without the same level of, of uh, attention to detail. I mean, I, I've seen some of these B movies that have come out or even A, like I'm, I'm, I'm astounded that people just phone it in. Like, for instance, I was watching the last, I can't believe I did it. I was watching because I'm a I'm a huge Avatar, the Last Airbender fan, and I was watching the movie the other day, and I'm just like, there was no attention to detail in this movie. It's a hundred seventy-five million dollar movie, and nobody nobody paid attention to anything. What a great TV show! Oh. What a failure of a movie. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. They had the whole thing laid out for them, and they chose to do the opposite. Yeah. Well, it was definitely uh, on that one. Not to not to cut off Indiana Jones here, but that one was definitely opposite. Day, okay. <laughs> you got Ozai, who's this big, strong, imposing guy. You know what I mean? The Fire Lord. Let's do the opposite. Let's get this guy. He when he sits in the throne, he looks like he's he's bored and he's like, uh, and he's kind of like just breathing heavy. And he doesn't look like he's in shape. Doesn't look menacing at all. Opposite day. <laughs> I just don't think M Night Shyamalan should have been the director. For I don't think movie. M Night Shyamalan should direct anything ever again. So it was okay. So that being said, Indiana Jones finally gets the Ark of the Covenant back. He runs the Nazis and Belloc off of the road, right? And then he um, he gets some help from some pirates. Was was Sala involved in this? Uh, yeah, yeah Sala was involved. Oh yeah, in he he knew the captain, I believe. Yeah, oh he yeah, knew he knew the captain who offered him their cabin. And then uh, Marion gives him like these three kisses, he kisses each of his cheeks, and gives him like this kind of. And then she gives him a kiss in the in the lips. And then Sala just departs. A British star is a soaring soul. That's free as a mountain bud. You love this guy. You know what I mean? yeah. like, you're like, dude, everybody would, should have a friend like Sala. I want to know more about Sala. I want to know more about this ship crew. Like, I would watch a whole movie based on them. Yeah. I'm, I, yeah dude, I think, I think it just goes back to that. We should probably pitch somebody uh, a, a Sala show. TV yeah, show. A Sala, a Sala, a Sala TV show. Love it. <laughs> Let's get to the end because you know now now we get to the point where the Nazis after this book they take they, the Ark they of the Covenant. They commandeer the ship. They take the Ark 
I've always wondered this, okay? So the Nazis, they get on the boat, they take the Ark, and then they take uh, Marion, right? And they can't find Indiana Jones because he's hiding. So Indy swims over to the submarine. Now, question, did the submarine never submerge? (laughs) We cut to one of the classic map sequences at this point that I love. But did they ever submerge the submarine? You never see it go down no, all the you way. Don't. You I, just, I, I think that might have been a budget thing. <laughs> how does he? Run yeah. on, does he go underwater with it? Can he hold his breath for a long period of time? While oh, he's see, <laughs> that, that might be one of those kind of like an unwritten rule amongst filmmakers that is you get only one in a movie, right? If you do two, <laughs> yeah. you've already messed up, right? Yeah. So like, I think at that point, it's like the suspension of disbelief works that Indy made it to where he had to go. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. You know, we'll, we'll, so. take it. well, and I do think they make up for it slightly because once he's in the secret Nazi headquarters, he takes down a Nazi officer so he can change into his uniform. Right, and the clothes don't fit. And I was like, "That's real life, right there." Which again, it's just it's great because it's it's like when action movies like these guys don't reload their guns and stuff like that, like. It, it kind of has become silly, but then at the same time, it also becomes a character moment for him. And it's yeah. that's the humor, man, which which creates this this wonderful, like fun experience throughout the entire time. Like it doesn't always have to be action and violence or whatever. We can have these funny moments, you know? Like mm-hmm. like like in The Last Crusade, the no ticket line, you know? No ticket. Yeah. Ah, ticket, ticket. <laughs> <laughs> but, so then they're they're marching along to perform the ritual. Now I don't know. Uh, the the Belloc character, he really goes all out. I mean, he gets the robes. Oh, the, yeah. The, he the, dresses. The, oh, the, I know. This epic ending. Let me tell you something. He wants to be the high priest of this whole thing. Which he wants was, his 15 minutes, man. <laughs> I, mean, I also, I, I looked something up here because I noticed like this is like essentially the only, except for the first scene we see Belloc, this is the only time he has a real costume change. <laughs> That's so true. He's always wearing the white suit, right? (laughs) It is like a replica of like a what a or Hebrew priestess robe could look like at the time, but also he says a Jewish prayer, right? Which is interesting, yeah, because he's not a Nazi, but he's a Nazi supporter, right? Actually, I think he said during the during the scene with Marion, he was all like, "No, I just, just, you know, he just favors whoever favors his interests." Exactly. Yes. Money me now. <laughs> and I wonder, I, I wonder too, thematically, if if Lucas and Spielberg were trying to say something about the Nazis wanting to embrace the power of God. That's 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 interesting to me. Yeah, that is actually because they were all kind of they were all atheists and all that. But you know, enough. I'm not going to listen yeah. into the Third Reich. Yeah. <laughs> Good call, Peter. Let's talk about special effects, guys. Let's do it. What do you? What the hell? I think that requires a sound effect oh, to go with it. Yeah, it does. What the hell was going on with the the Nazi, the general, and the Gestapo, and then and then Belloc? Like they they look like wax dolls just kind of melting away. But that's that's of, exactly what it was. It they, was. They recreated them. Uh, their likenesses in wax, and then they did time lapse shots of the melting of it all. They did all these layers. They did the the skeletal layer, the muscle layer, the skin layer, all that stuff. And then they melted it in, like, obviously it takes time for that to melt. It doesn't melt that fast, but they, they did it in a time-lapse sequence. And, wow. then they, and then they speed it up to make it look like their skin melts right away or whatever. Wow. But again, I'm talking about 
the gore of this movie, I mean, this part, this, it's not like ultra gory compared to what we see today, but you know, for the time that, that was probably pretty shocking. Yeah. It's terrifying to watch. Yeah. I, think, but like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's like the, the, just the wax. It just looked very, very, I don't know. It looked really awesome in but, my opinion. But it's also interesting because back when they're digging in the well of souls, like it, there's this creepiness that they put into it. You know, you think of God as always like the loving kind of figure of life and all that. But like now they, they kind of put it as like this dark power too that you shouldn't mess with. And it had a foreboding aspect. Like so when Sala and, and Indy are digging at the well of souls initially to get to the ark, this yes. storm comes in. And then we, and what a great foreshadowing moment, right? Because then that same storm comes back when they're going to open mm-hmm. the, the ark. And when you do, all these souls come out of it and they're, they're, they're not, they're not little pretty angels. You know what I mean? Like this, this is, this is some scary. These, these things are hanging out in basements of New York public libraries. <laughs> oh, that's true. It does. It, right. <laughs> it does look like, <laughs> that's a really great point. Oh my God. God, they're terrifying. Now, um, I don't want to step on your toes, Rob, because you're talking about the special effects, but did you read up on how they did these ghosts? I didn't read up on how they did these ghosts, but I'm pretty sure back then, you know, the the blue screen was in works, right? So I think that they did do a lot of that. And again, that most of that stuff was really rotoscoping and, and matte painting like onto the actual film itself back then, right? So it would be like, you know, kind of like traditional animators when they did cartoons, you would actually have cells and paint that on there, you know? So when wow. that energy come out of the, out of the arc, it was hand drawn back then that, that I do know, you know, the swirling and all that stuff. Now wow. when that really? one, yeah. When that one soul goes up to Bella or not Bella, the, the, I forget the German guy with the glasses, it, it flies right at him and it looks like this beautiful woman. I'm pretty sure that is a composited shot of, like somebody in costume on a blue screen, which again, back then was just very still like new, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. But they do that. And then they probably, you know, kind of finish off the rest, drawing it hand drawn and like frame by frame. And then they kind of uh, incorporate that. But, but yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting, but I'm, I, I'm also just kind of curious and why they went with that kind of creepy direction. I guess it's just to put the fear of God in here. You know what I mean? I don't know. It has to be. has to be. You are messing with powers you do not know. Well, I guess it's Old Testament God because that, if you, the Old Testament God is like the violent, you know. Fire and brimstone. Exactly. Rain, hail. But I find it curious that Indiana tells uh, Marion not to look. Indy's like, don't look at it. Don't look at it. And it's kind of like back to that Old Testament God where he does the flood or whatever. And he's like, don't look because if you do, you'll you'll turn to salt or you'll turn to stone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah, that's the one. Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah. Yeah. You learn something new every day. I, I didn't even notice that. I just, it, But it all, it all goes into uh, biblical Old Testament uh, stories. So... The Nazis die, guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boo-hoo. Horrifically. <laughs> I have to say it. Indy loses again. How many... So, do you... Uh, Rob, do you have a counter for how many times uh, Indy lost in this movie? Uh, dude, I mean, I've lost count now, but I think it's like four times. No, like, yeah, yeah, I think we're up to four or five, and we could find others. He lost the monkey. Yeah. You know. He loses the, the gold at the beginning to Bella, right. and then he loses to Marion. And then he loses the monkey. He loses Marion again. He loses the Ark of the Covenant. And then he loses the Ark of the Covenant again. He loses quite a bit. He never wins a thing. But check this out, though. I think the message in that, too, because remember, he's always wanting to find these archaeological relics and take them to uh, a museum. But at the end of the day, I think it's, he gets to live and he 
learned something along the way, which again, I think that is really what heroes take on their journey. You know what I mean? And it's not always the treasure or whatever. It's, it's the lessons learned that make you grow into an mm -hmm. even better character afterwards. And I think that that ominous ending where the arc is hammered shut yeah. and put into this massive warehouse where it'll be stored and it'll be lost for the ages. And we don't even, but it, even then you don't even care because it's kind of like, Indy came out on top anyway. I mean, does that place have like an encyclopedia uh, a directory where they can find it? Like, <laughs> uh, do they not find anything at these places in that warehouse? I remember being a kid and thinking first that maybe these are all arcs that have been found oh, and wow. not fully understanding what the arc was. Right. And then being very confused. I think still a lot of people don't even know what the Ark of the Covenant is. You know what I mean? Unless you went to like Catholic school or Sunday school or you're really religious, like people don't really know what the Ark of the Covenant is, which is kind of interesting, but it, well, I think it was lost during the age of Solomon. And they do only briefly go over it at the beginning. And if you're not strapped in, you'll, you'll miss it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it is really interesting that they chose to go with, even for the time, that was sort of controversial to kind of dive into that, you know, which oh, is, I'm sure it was. Yeah. At the end of the day, man, you walk out. I mean, I don't know anybody that's watched Raiders of the Lost Ark that has walked out of there going like, nah. Like everybody comes out of there going like, that was, that was badass. That was a great movie. Well, hey, Peter, how do you want to wrap this puppy up? Well, I hope everybody uh, enjoyed this edition of Magical at the Movies with Rob and Rob. I hope you uh, tune in next time, actually, when we're discussing. I, I don't know. We haven't picked a movie yet. Have we, have we picked a movie, guys? We'll, we'll pick one, but I want to thank you guys, you know, Rob and Peter for actually starting this because I think that this is a this is a really fun thing to to do. And I'm I'm really looking forward to the possibilities of the next episodes that we're gonna be working on. And I want to thank everybody that's listening. Thank you for your time, guys. This was uh this was awesome for us. I, I I'm I'm excited. You know, anytime I've started a podcast, there's always a little bit of trepidation, you know, we're all kind of meeting each other and putting ourselves in this uh world talking about film for the first time. But we did a trial run on Peter's social happy hour that I thought went really well. Yeah. And yeah, this we, conversation was just enlightening and a lot of fun. So thank you both for like wanting to be a part of this project. And also thank you to everyone who's tuned in because I want this to keep on going. Hell yeah. And Absolutely. This, and this will be a source for you to, you know, come over and hear about discussions of good movies where we don't like launch into, oh, that was bad. Oh, that was a plot hole. No, 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 that's not what we're going to be doing here. We'll mention them like I did, but, uh, but we're not going to destroy a movie, you know, because there's a lot of work that goes into making a movie. And, and a lot of people don't really understand what, what the amount of work that goes into it. I mean, just, just you know, what we were talking about, the, the truck seat, that took a lot of work to really hone in and get that done in the camera angles, et cetera, the planning all that so i think this is going to be a place for people to be passionate and and join us and again if we start getting a lot of viewers and they have suggestions of stuff that we should review or whatever I, I think that would be awesome we want to open it up to the community too i don't know if you agree rob but yeah i've got a suggestion guys what how about those who really enjoy this show leave us a five-star review on apple podcast with the movie they think we should watch i agree Please do. i think that's great That'd that's awesome amazing. well thank you guys Thank you guys for uh, Rob Frederick and for Rob Schulte. I'm Peter Madrigal signing off. I hope you guys enjoyed Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob.